Hello and welcome to The Why Debate. Um, this is the podcast where we selfishly educate ourselves every single week on some of the best books and concepts in the world. And then we share our thoughts with you guys so that we make sure that what we're learning is being absorbed. And it seems to be going really, really well. Enjoying it. It's fun. Um, this week we did the almanac of Naval Ravi Kant. Keep calling him a cunt by accident, but... <laughs> After last week's video, you said I said the word cunt in the video right at the beginning, so I thought I'm able to do it again. Get it in the first minute. <laughs> the I respect the hustle, mate. I respect the hustle. <laughs> I'll <better laughs> do it. It wasn't in the first minute, actually, because if you look at the timer... Oh, okay. Is... So for those watching us now, I'm going to show you what we created as a promo video before we go live. Mine and Callum's um, microphones, I believe, will be muted. Check this yeah. out. Oh, hi. Don't mind me. I was just in my happy place. If you want to learn about wealth, health and happiness, join us today as we discuss the almanac of Naval Ravikant on the wider debate. And we're back in the room. Boom. Who's that guy? <laughs> I can't believe you did that, you mad bastard. I That's put it awesome. in one take. One take. One to, I may, uh, Brad Pitt should be shitting himself that you're coming up in the world. And I'm telling you, I don't you. think Brad Pitt's famous anymore, is he? I think he got old like like the rest of us. I think there's there's new younger people who are famous now. Yeah, it's the place to be there. I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to be famous like that. I, I would suck. I would. That'd be um, awful. So today we're going to go through um, the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. What we've learned, what we picked up. We've got plenty of notes in here that we can show on the screen shortly. Um, how did you feel about it? What did you think? Well, this is uh, probably the... It's, it's not a very long book, as you can see. It's fairly short. Um, and uh, this is probably the first one that I absolutely destroyed the book. I went from page one to the, to the back cover in record time. Uh, it was, I found it pretty engaging. Even the first part on wealth, um, uh, I suppose I should explain. The book is broken up into two parts. The first half is on wealth. The second half is on happiness. And um, it is a compilation of transcripts and uh, tweets from Naval Ravikant, who is a uh, tech, he's big in the tech kind of world. He's um, the founder of AngelList, right? Is that correct? Yep. The founder of AngelList. So my investing knowledge is uh, pretty pretty minimal i don't have any money to invest so <laughs> i didn't learn much about investing <laughs> so um yeah so it's a compilation of like tweets and stuff that he's done and um eric jorgensen who is the who's the writer of the book he's put everything together so it's more like a, a tapestry uh compilation of the stuff that naval said and um yeah really interesting guy it's uh he's got sort of like uh socratic wisdom you know for someone who's uh for someone who just kind of came out of obscurity he's not you know a big name he was an immigrant to america from india and um yeah he just made he's a self-made self-made man and he's got a ton of wisdom to share and he um used twitter to share it in really bite-sized chunks and the um the book kind of reflects that so it's really easy to digest um and i loved it for that for that reason did did you feel the same way yeah i mean he thinks differently i preferred the second half of the book um, me too 
maybe 15 years ago, I'd have been, I'd have been the first half of the book would have been like, wow, wealth, 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 wealth or not. But these days you start getting to an age where you start realizing that shit doesn't really matter so much. And the second half of the book on happiness was brilliant. It was absolutely life. This thing that we're doing now is, is, is become super life-changing for me, like on a whole nother level for relaxation, for like, if, if somebody's watching us today for the first time, then going to the first video and watching through what we've done and then reading in the same order we have, I think will really, really help people because it's, it's, but it's not just changed me. It's changing what's happening at home with my life, my family, with, with my kids. Cameron is now reading Ego is the Enemy. Okay. Yeah. He's, he's, he's 11. Right. And I've said to him, you need to try and finish it within a week so that then I can take the almanac home for him this week. Um, and then he's got, these are two books he's asked me to buy for him since we've started doing this. The Obstacle is the Way and Stillness is the Key by Ryan Holiday, which is about the stoic guy. It's it's changing not just me. It's changing my family. It's changing my kids. It's changing the way I look at things that we're doing. I'm I'm less stressed. I'm less bothered when things go wrong, work-wise and everything else. It's like, you know what? It's what it is. Shit happens. We'll all be dead soon. (laughs) (laughs) It's awesome. It's like the um, applied wisdom of it all. You know, you've got – we're gaining so much – we're reading so many books written by some like pretty wise people. They've got a lot of uh, sort of game-changing info to, sh- to share, and uh, then sort of just being motivated to apply it because obviously we're going we're gonna to talk about it at the end of the week. So it's not just like we're digesting it and then we're like, "Cool, that was great." On to the next. It's like we have the opportunity to apply it in the because we're talking about you know, talking about it in the podcast. And like you said, trying to apply it in your everyday life is uh, awesome. And it was a really good point you made about um, people reading the books that we have in the order that we have. Yeah, I think that would be super helpful. But if you're feeling very lazy and you just want to get a sort of, I don't know, a summary of of what we've been um, reading, I think this book is a good place to start, honestly. I don't know if you felt the same way. I felt like it goes through quite a lot of the concepts that we've already discussed from the other books. And I think it does it in a, I think it goes about it in a very simplistic way. It's like Ikea furniture kind of, uh, kind of knowledge, you know, he's, he's made some pretty deep concepts into something that's quite easy to, to put together. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I thought that that was one of the real strengths of the book. I thought that you could probably get a good overview of what we've talked about already just by reading this one. He didn't have much ego as well. That's why he uses little words rather than, because because some of the words you say, I, I you said one a minute ago and I had no clue what it meant. Um, and and, and but with this book, I read the whole book and I understood every single word. And if people do want to see what we've done in the past and you don't want to dig through YouTube, you can go over to thewidebate.com. I just copy and pasted it in. Um, yep. In fact, let me hide that. Let me edit it. Let me change this to get rid of that. I just copied it from the website because Georgia has very uh, has has made us a website, thewidebait.com. So if you want to go over and look, that's where the, the the podcast stuff is starting to come together. We're on multiple channels now. Um, so today, the almanac of of um, of Naval Ravikant. What we're going to do is we're going to share um, quotes that we found from the book. We're going to go through Callum's notes first, my notes second. And pull out sections that, that resonated with us and explain why. Um, and that way, hopefully, people will um, be able to get the same, what do you call it? What's that word? When, when the epiphany kind of thing, um, yeah. as we did. See, I use big words sometimes. There uh, we go. Because it's because it's on, it's on this thing in front of me. The epiphany um, bridge. 
Yes, um, questions. So, okay, let's pop the first one up. Let's do it. Okay, give me a lever long enough and a fulcrum on which to place it, and I shall move the world, as a quote from Archimedes. Um, so, obviously, Archimedes probably talking about this from a mathematic point of view, um, but I think this is something that can be applied. It was a quote that was used in the book, and it's something that can be applied um, in every aspect of life, but uh, this was specifically talking about wealth in 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 the book. Leverage. Um, yeah, leverage. Uh, so basically, with the right tools and the correct application, anything is possible. This is something that uh, you you've said quite a lot on your on your webinars. I found like that's kind of one of the things that you like to remind people that if you've got the right tools and you know how to apply the the uh, you know how to apply the the tools, then anything's possible you can you can create awesome stuff if you um, have the knowledge and understand the process implementation is the key that's kind of what I, said in the webinars. I wanted you to say it because it just sounds better when you say it <laughs> yeah i've heard um, it thousands of times <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so uh yeah so naval talks about uh three different types of leverage he talks about labor capital and um the third one he uses I, I can't remember the exact term he uses, but it's basically a uh, product or technology. I don't know if you've it's um, media and date and and uh, code. You basically yeah. So yeah, it's the, kind he's of is the, the new world leverage, which is it's great because I mean when when so I, I run a, a locksmithing company for years, mm -hmm. and we we were all every everything we did. You, nobody nobody oh, very few people are stupid enough to lock themselves out twice. Okay, so they do it once. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that. It just fitted. It just worked. Yeah, I've but climbed through a few are, windows in my time. So every single time that people that, that they get locked out, they don't you don't get much in the way of repeat business. So everything is like um it, it's a one time income. So when you've got to be at the top of your marketing's got to be on top of everything, you've got to be the best absolutely everything. As soon as I figured out that I could sell software and I could build it once and 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 then sell it forever. I don't care if software costs me 50 grand, 100 grand, 200 grand to create because then I'm in a situation where even if it's only making me 10 grand a month, right? I'm still going to get me initial two, 200 grand back. Let's say I spent 200K over the first two years and then I can sell it going on forever as long as the problem that it was designed to fix, it still fixes. Even if there's other stuff out there better than it because you don't have to have the best product, you have to have the best marketing and the most targeted market into the right organ. Anyway, I'm going off too far. Carry on with what you were saying. <laughs> no, I like it. That's cool. I, uh, that was going to be one of my questions to you was what was your experience with the with these three types of leverage? Obviously, as a as a business owner, I felt like you probably had a little more experience with, with these three. But um, so you've got labor. This is the first one, which is obviously people working for you. Um, yep. And um, or you working yourself, I suppose. Um, but it's... It, it's harder to gain leverage that way. Um, it's not leverage because you're using your time. If you're working for yourself, if you're doing it yourself, it's kind of not leverage. It's, it's, it's time-based and you've only got a little bit of time. So what you need to do is leverage is all about saving time. It's not about making money. It's about saving yeah, time. Yeah, true. If you, true. if you can build leverage so that you, because you, you only get a small amount of time, you can, like, if I want, I can literally phone into the office and speak to Georgia each day and say, right, get everybody to do this, 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 and this and potentially not have to come into I do come into the office every day because I love it. But I, the way we've built it gradually over time now, I, potentially I could not do that. That's kind of leverage. Where, definitely. Which, which is it's the labor, labor leverage. Yes, definitely. Yeah. And like you were saying with the software, like, um, you know, 
if you're not a software engineer, but you have a great idea for an app or something like that, you can use labor as a leverage too to to build that software. Yep. And obviously, capital, uh, the money that you have, you're going to need that to pay people and to you know buy tools to to create stuff you know so capital obviously is probably the most uh you know i guess yeah capital is probably like the main one that people think about when they think about leverage but now moving into the way things are now the digital age um the sort of media the products technology like that's uh i think that's where it's at and and, and it's great because if you look at some of the richest people now, well, some of the people that have accumulated wealth in, in record amounts of time have almost always done it online. And some of them are really unlikely. You think of people like PewDiePie, for example. Do you, you know PewDiePie? Have you heard of PewDiePie? Um, the kid knows who he is, yeah. Yeah, so he was a YouTuber. Back in the day, he would just make funny gaming videos. And now he just does sort of vlogs about his life and, and whatnot. But he was the most subscribed person on YouTube. And um for a long time and i don't know exact figures on on uh how much money he he's made because he's quite a sort of i think he's doing a great job he seems like a really humble guy um but he's made silly money and all of those videos he's made they're like appreciating assets because they're still on they're still online and they're still going to get watched and they still have a chance of going viral in in the future um it's yeah, it's it's genius, and he could walk away now, and still be making money. I think from from YouTube for for the rest of his life, or at least a you large see, part of it. You see, when you were talking about cash before, capital uh, leverage, capital cash. Yeah. When, when we refer to it as cash, I think that's the worst type of leverage. Uh, what a lot okay. of people don't look at and realize, everybody's met like, okay, if I can save up and get hundred grand in the bank, I'll feel I'll feel better. I'll feel like I'm not I'm not um, I've got leverage. If you leave that hundred grand in the bank for ten years, unless it's in a high interest account that, that's accumulating um, compound interest, then after ten years you've still got hundred k sat in the bank. But that hundred k is probably the same as as maybe fifty k now. So basically, cash cash leverage is is it, I feel is a bad thing. Don't get me wrong. We we do keep I do keep a certain amount of cash in the bank, which is necessary for like if shit really at the family business. I'd like to be able to make sure I've got enough to pay everybody for a year and all the offices and all the other crazy stuff. But other than that, you're better off to get that capital that's cash and, and invest it into and appreciate an asset that then enables you to, um, your, your wealth grows with the asset instead of it drinking. So a lot of people who are like, oh, I want to save this much cash or that much. Cash. A lot of people are scared when they've got a small amount of money in the bank. But if you've invested it into appreciating assets, which is anything I, I, staff are an appreciating asset uh, code uh, pr uh, software is an appreciating asset and he mentions media in the book which it, which is also regarding creating uh, books videos uh, blogs um, and things like that, that that people don't look at it like that but a website is an appreciating asset that's why we do a webinar on digital real estate over real estate because digital real estate is an appreciating asset that you actually build yourself. It's like building your own fucking house. You can rent it out for just as much. You can use it for just as much. It's an appreciating asset that costs almost nothing to create. And that's why I love it. That's why I love what it is we do. Um, because you, you've been creating um, a website for me in the last few weeks. Um, uh, I'm not going to bring it up on here yet because it's not ready. But um, that the, the cost of creating that, is, when it's finished, it's probably less. It's going to be less than two grand to me. 
But the value of that over the next five years will probably be one, two, three, four, five hundred k. Right. Um, yeah. For that, for that one, for that one thing, and it could be more because because it's designed to generate. So when we're talking about leverage and we're talking about capital, cash is the worst form of capital because cash is a depreciating asset. Uh, because obviously cost of living is always going up. And so the value of, of cash in the bank is always going down year after year after year after year. Even if you, like at the minute, um, they did a 10% inflation this year for, for cost of living rise in the UK because everything's going up so much in, in, in cost. Mm-hmm. So it's a 10% cost of living. So even if you've got your cash sat in a bank with a fucking 5% interest rate, but the cost of living's gone up by 10, the value of your cash is going down by whatever the cost of living goes up because you can't buy as much. So even if you've got it in a high interest 5% savings account, you're still losing money having cash in the bank. You're fighting against inflation. Always, constantly fighting time. against inflation and inflation's designed because society, in the Western world anyway, um, I've, I've, uh, is designed to keep you poor and to make it so that you earn less and less and less. I do. I have an example in one of the webinars where we talk about somebody earning 30K 10 years ago when you look at the inflation, they need to be earning about 90K now to be in the same financial position, not in a better yeah. financial position, the same. That's why if you're a single person and you're not in a really high paying job, in the UK, people can't even afford to buy a house. Even can't even afford to buy a fucking flat, never mind a house. And it's that's ridiculous. why I think that's another reason why you have to be extremely particular about where you want to live and set up your set up your life because the amount of the amount of money that it takes to like to, to just survive the cost of living in a certain place is is just huge um yeah, it's ridiculous you, where we live in it yeah it's it's out it's outrageous and but living in asia before the cost of living is just so much smaller like for example i had um i had an apartment in a it wasn't the nicest area, but it was a, a nice apartment, brand new build. I was the first person to live in the apartment. Uh, we had a swimming pool and a gym in the apartment and a 7-Eleven that was all just private, which was a lifesaver when COVID hit because everything closed and we couldn't go out. Uh, and there were just police everywhere and they, they absolutely hated foreigners. And um, at, at that was time... That in Spain? That was in Thailand, I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah it was in Spain it, at the same time. They fucking hated us. Yeah, it was like a real, really weird knee-jerk reaction of like, it's all your fault, super strange. And um, yeah, we, we were saved by that 7-Eleven. But anyway, my point is, we were paying the equivalent of about £200 a month for that apartment. Wow. Yeah, and it was about, uh, it was uh, less than a five-minute walk away from a major railway line. I know places up north near affordable. where I used to live where you can go and buy a house for ten grand. Yeah, like it, it'll need kitting up. It'll need doing up, right? But realistically, you, you could do a house up for for twenty k piece of piss, right? If, if you just want it to be livable and decent and half decent and, and and carpeted and painted and do you know what I mean and and pretty much leak proof, uh, you could comfortably do it up for twenty grand. So for for thirty k, you can have a house that you own outright with no mortgage, but <laughs> you're living in a shithole well, and it's a lot of work. And, my big problem with that living living in bad areas is is why I won't live in a bad area is because of my kids. Because what I feel is when you mm-hmm. when your kids when you when your kids are growing up, 
they, 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 even though the internet is now kind of making the world a much smaller place, your children tend to knock around with the kids who live local, who live in the same area. And then what yeah. happens is they grow up together, they get into the same, that's obviously I grew up in, in some, some shit areas and we got in loads and loads and loads of trouble because of that, because everybody else was doing it. It was normal life, so we did it. Whereas if you brought up in an area where, okay, your next door neighbor is a doctor and that one over the road's a lawyer and this one is an actor and so on and so forth and things like that. You're then in a situation where your kids are going to grow up, they're going to be surrounded by children that are going to have a better future, which I know it's kind of a, a bad thing to say, but it's true. Not only that, kids start mating at a very young age and if they accidentally get somebody pregnant, I would want my son to get a doctor's daughter pregnant, not somebody that's going to be brought up in, in a family that's super, super poor. And I know it sounds horrible, but it, it's true because for his future... And and inheritance when I die and they die, um, they're going to be much better off, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it sounds brutal, doesn't it? That kind of stuff. And it's kind of a taboo to talk about that kind of thing. But decision making is like the most important. Having good decision making is one of the most important skills, full stop. And if you don't factor that kind of stuff in when you're making decisions, then, you know, you're, you're going to lose out because of that potentially. Yeah. And, and, I get what you're saying about like the kids in that area. I moved away from, um, I lived in an area of Weymouth that wasn't particularly like, um, it was a little more economically deprived and there was, uh, there was sort of a bit of gang stuff going on there. Um, obviously nothing is not a patch on, uh, like the mean streets of Manchester, but, um, uh, my parents moved out of there as quickly as they could. They, as soon as we were school age, they, moved us somewhere else and the reason they did that was to get me in a catchment area for a the best secondary school in in weymouth at the time because because well yeah yeah i mean look it's not you know it's not as easy as that obviously there's still loads of hurdles and stuff to overcome like the the area was still wasn't it was it was nice it was real sleepy and whatever but i i I was the type of person, luckily the type of kid that didn't, I didn't go out much. Like I didn't, because my, because I moved when I just first joined school, I moved away from my primary school to move closer to a secondary school. So I actually didn't have any of my school friends living anywhere nearby me. So what that did was made me, uh, I was a real homebody. I would stay in and just play video games all the time. That was kind of like my thing. <laughs> that sounds so, like the modern kids these days. Right. Your second yeah. note. Yeah, so uh, we touched on this briefly, actually, a moment ago. So how does compounding relate to building trust in relationships? Uh, can trust be seen as an investment that grows over time? So we talked about compounding in terms of um, finances. So like putting putting money in the bank, you know, if you compounding, if you put 2K a year for 10 years, between 20 and 30 in the bank, um, the compounding interest of that will out-earn someone that puts 2K in the bank between 30 and 65 basically compounding is like mm -hmm. pretty nuts financially but we've spoken about the weakness of that um uh also skills compounding skills is uh pretty cool jujitsu is something a skill of mine that's really compounded like it sucks at the beginning it's horrible so you just have to keep showing up keep showing up and then eventually you learn one thing and once you've learned one thing you unlock a whole another level of different things you're like oh brilliant now i can do this i can you know i can throw up a triangle i can do an armbar because it sets up that move or you know you learn an escape and then suddenly you're in another position and you learn that position so it compounds over time um the more moves you can do the more moves you end up being exposed to 
Um, uh, yeah. The second half of this question. Can trust be seen as an investment that grows over time? Right. Yeah. So, so smart and yet so true. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously this kind of, uh, investment is not something you want to make in all your relationships right but there are certain relationships that i think the compounding effect is really important and um probably business relationships i'd say is is one that's quite important i'm sure you can speak to that like having i think business owners nowadays over business owners years ago was you could be a you could uh, the business was you didn't know who owned the business you didn't know hmm. who the main person in the company was there was no there was no figure in front of a business. People buy from people these days because of the social media. Is people like to know who's the owner of the company, who they're buying from, can they trust them? And that what you've just said there can trust be seen as an investment that grows over time. I know certain entrepreneurs who people who come on webinars, come on training courses, and things with me. If I say this is made by such and such, they'll say, "Don't even, don't even show it, mate. I, I won't even come to one of your webinars again if you ever show me a product from this guy again." Because the guy has no trust, um, and so people just just they just don't trust him. Um, whereas if if they've built good products, they look after their customers. Um, a, a, a great example of somebody who does that, who 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 looks after their customers, builds great products in my industry, is a guy called Herc Magnus. Okay, okay. Herc yeah. is one of those guys in the industry who is known. You, people like, they trust, they follow him. They know he doesn't talk shit. They know he doesn't lie. They know his products get looked after. They get um, basically you, you can you can invest money with him and and feel safe. And that that when you when I read that, can trust be seen as an investment that grows over time? Is hell yes, it can. Um, my my right hand man in 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 what a lot of what you do with the software and those Keith Best is is a similar situation. Everything that he does, people know, like, and trust him. And that means that if he creates a product and somebody that's untrusted creates a product that's half the price, people only idiots will buy off the guy that's selling it cheaper. Yeah. Yeah, because of the uh, the authority and the sort of you know the the trust that they've. Yeah, I think when you said like if someone does a sort of untrustworthy move and they lose that that um, you know that that investment isn't made in trust. I think you know you've said it's important before to have. I think the last book we read, in fact, said it was really important. Influence said it's really important to to have your face on everything or your name to everything like, don't be shy about about being real and being an actual person behind a business because that is you know that is how you build this kind of trust but it's also obviously how you get burned um so i know that some people would prefer to be they'd prefer to hide behind a a, a you know a title or a or a you know a pseudonym of some kind uh to like hide their identity so if if it fails then they're protected from that and they can, they can, you know, exit, move to something else and be like, okay, now I can start again doing something else. And I haven't lost all of that. I guess that's the risk and the reward, isn't it? Of yep. you've got to have skin in the game to look authentic, to look, to, to become trustworthy. And yeah. It, it, and if you're looking at it from a relationship point of view, you know, if you hide something from a significant other, if you hide something from you, from your wife or your husband, whatever, um, that's going to come out eventually, you know, like it, if 
it's better to just be truthful the, the entire time and then the the trust will be there and you'll have someone that all has your back all the time yeah exactly um because they might not be as bad as you think you know failure is is not always the worst thing you know it's it's um it's a good fail is good you know i've building this website my god i failed like a million times i i had no idea what to do i was I, everyone in the office can attest to it there was one day where i was just like on the war path i was not i was not <laughs> i was not showing it that i'd learned any lessons from the ha- from the happiness part of this book and how to have peace of mind and be zen i was the categorical opposite i was exercising my chimp that's uh from uh, your emotional brain chimp just letting emotions take over you body that's i that's what i was to, yeah. you know what i started saying to my little lad because he, he read meditations of marcus aurelius and whenever he gets in about like last night he was so saying, awesome. his mum said to him right you need to get in a bath or a shower or do something like that or you have to turn your computer off he's one of them things where he's like oh and i shout cameron and he goes what and i go marcus aurelius right <laughs> and that's what i say to him yeah. and, and straight away he shuts up and, and, and he realizes it like, <laughs> okay stop letting your emotions get carried away stop over stressing about it. and i say i shout it to him and that's what i say to him every time now and that was like dad you sound like an idiot saying that but it works every single time. Yeah. Sorry, I've popped your next um, your next comment. Oh, go on, I'll let you read it. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, there's a quote from the book. So seek wealth, not money or status. Wealth is having assets that earn while you sleep. Money is how we transfer time and wealth. Status is your place in the social hierarchy. Um, I thought this was a, a good quote because I think that the the battle between wealth and status is one that's really important and i think it's an issue that people get confused with they see status and they're like oh that's wealth um and they chase that thinking that it is wealth but it's not it's not i at would all. argue that every decision both negative and positive are made for status um and i can't remember who it was that explains it but i think it was russell brunson who explains it he says if the guy at the end of the street buys a ferrari He's buying the Ferrari for status. He said, but if the guy at the end of the street says, well, I can afford a Ferrari, but I don't buy a Ferrari because I'm not making a decision for status. That's also a status move because he doesn't want to be seen as the guy who drives the Ferrari. Um, Whether he wants the Ferrari, he doesn't want. And and, and I think he he, it was explained like that, that, that basically nearly every decision we make in modern day society, if you, if you, if you follow the rules is, is made based on status. Um, But yeah, wealth, wealth is nothing about, um, it's 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 all about appreciating assets, in my opinion. And when mm-hmm. I say appreciating assets, I don't just mean property. Uh, anything that appreciates, like um, <clears throat> I've got books in there, four or five books that I've written on the bookshelf that make me money every single month. Um, they probably don't make me enough to live on because obviously I've got a quite an expensive life. But if I didn't have, I could probably make a go of it. Um, right, and that's and that's the kind of the Ferrari days. thing, right? There's like the guy who doesn't, who isn't chasing the Ferrari. He's not, you know, the, yeah, that's a depreciating asset. She's fucking. Yeah. Ridiculous. So he's seeing that and he's, years. and you don't want to get caught. I think it's, it can be a very wise choice to not go after a, a we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about desire later on. Cause there's a lot in the book about desire, especially um, its relationship with happiness. But the, you know, we've spoken before about the Diderot effect on here, right? About how we've we not spoken about the Diderot effect. Probably, I don't remember it. Go on. 
Um, uh, you remember the, the names of things. I'll remember the concept when you say it. <laughs> yeah, that's school for you, isn't it? Like memory games. <laughs> you can tell that because I, I was applying myself in school and I was just like, oh, I've got to remember all the names. Um, so, yeah, the Ditter effect, um, when you buy an expensive, a poor man comes into a lot of money um, and he buys expensive robes and then he goes back and sits in his his shambolic house and he's like, I look out of place here. I'd better buy a nice chair to sit in. And it that uh it's a compounding effect really um it's another example of the compounding effect once you've got something uh once you've got something rich you want everything to be of that standard you know if if you've got a ferrari then your next car has got to be you know the next one up the next model or it's got to be an aston martin or it's got to be a bentley or we need to keep constantly pushing the bar because we do have a i think humans do have an innate there is something within us that wants to keep pushing pushing the bar, make everything better and better and better. But I'm not sure whether that's innate or whether that's society. I think society doing that to teaches us. you to push in the wrong direction. So people push people yeah. in a bigger house because of status, because they want people to see them in a bigger house. People buy an expensive car because of status and they want people to see them in a, in a, in a more expensive car. And things. Like, I mean, I, I currently live in the smallest house I've lived in since before Cameron was born. Um, and that was, right. that was the decision that when we've lived in big houses – it's you don't see the family there's yeah no there's no um there's no togetherness there's no it's 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 like okay now now in some cases that's good if you've, if you've had a fallout with the missus you don't want to see her for a day or so and you can uh, like when we lived in 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 the the big villa in spain downstairs was a one-bedroom apartment so whenever we had an argument i could just go down and that was my office so i was out of the way but yeah but that's a temporary that's like a short-term gain isn't it because realistically you need to sort out the conflict because you plan on living with this person long term so that doesn't even really help but sorry go on no well we've got one we've got one living room three bedrooms or maybe four bedrooms i think uh, four bedrooms um but one living room four bedrooms and we um if we want if we come into the house the first place to go is that one living room like where i've lived in houses where we've got uh, living room, another living room, dining room, massive kitchen, kitchen with an eatery area and things like that. And then there's maybe a, a big, uh, what them things call that stick on the side of your house and you can go out into them as well. Conservatory? Uh, stuff like that, yeah. Outhouses we'll and outbuildings and, and and you literally can go home and not see the family. And and that, I think, causes distance. Uh, we purposely, yeah. when, when, when we moved to Weymouth, we didn't buy straight away. We, we couldn't, when we, could, we drove back from Spain to, to, to the UK. We had to rent for a year and we purchased yeah. a house and we've purposely not purchased a massive house. Um, and I keep saying to my missus, I think we should probably buy a bigger house just because of, of, of when you own a smaller house, it doesn't appreciate as much. So, so the money that's invested in the property, but uh, she's like, make it, she's, she's basically made me promise that we're not going to leave this house for five years because, she wow, doesn't okay. because we because of how close the families become living in a smaller house again yeah yeah and, and you don't want to it's about communication as well and i i i know i i didn't live in massive houses growing up the house i live in now is slightly bigger but that's because my parents my parents bought that whilst i was living away i've obviously come home but um it's like people communicate with shouting in those houses like everything is communicated like you know, like, like people screaming, dinner's ready. This is, 
Yeah, have you done this? And they're just screaming it from one end of the house to the other. And I don't know. I think that's just a really poor way to communicate as well. You know, I think it, you, you don't need to do that anymore. You know, you know, you know these these Amazon devices we have all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Right? You can actually tell it to announce everywhere that dinner's ready, and it will actually do it everywhere in that because we've got one in every single room of the house. So I can say to that uh, Echo. We couldn't call it Alexa because my daughter's called Alexis, uh, and he was always going <laughs> off. So we, we have we, we, we'll say like Echo announce everywhere that dinner is ready, and even if Cameron's in his room and I'm upstairs or or wherever, we'll still get notification. So that's pretty. That's cool. funny. But, You're switched on with awesome. the. You're switched on with the tech stuff. My, I watch my mum go to war with Google every day. Our little Google Home thing. Um, like any time a, a timer doesn't stop on time, she goes crazy. It like, probably triggers phone, her. Which I don't think many people know about. It's called shortcuts, right? On an Apple phone. Okay. It's a little app down there called Shortcuts. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And what what you do is you can go into that. So I can say to my phone, when I arrive home, send my missus a text to tell her that I'm home. Or I can say, when I pass a certain point, tell send my missus a text to say, I'm nearly home, stick the kettle on, right? And things like that. That's awesome. And, and I have all sorts of stupid little automations. Like when I get in the car, and as soon as my phone is in the car, it automatically starts my book reading app. Because I know as soon as you get in a car, what will happen is your phone will connect and, and it'll automatically go to whatever the music app is. And, yeah. and then you'll be like, oh, shit, you're great. It's got music on. So I've set an automation up so that whenever I get in my car, my book reading app automatically switches on and starts playing the, the most recent thing that I've been. And it does that as an actual function, not as a thing. Yeah, and I, I have loads of crazy shit like that set up because it's like if you can automate everything for, for positive habits, um, I think it works great. Your That's next really one. Cool. Uh, does, if you're unsure, the answer is no, apply to all decisions or just some? Are there some exceptions? So, yeah, the quote, if you're unsure, the answer is no. All about decision-making, obviously. If you're not sure about a decision, you should probably say no to it. Um, I, when I heard this, I was like, I was trying to think of some, uh, you know, exceptions, trying to think like, oh, yeah, that, that's a really good rule. It jumped out to me as being really effective. But I wasn't sure, you know, I was like, I'm trying to think of some, some exceptions to that rule. There are so many times in my life where I've been unsure about something and, and been like, oh, and thought about it for ages. But it saves so much time if you just are like, well, you know what? Thinking about this for so long is not a good idea. I should probably say just not I do disagree it. with it, me. When I read it, I thought, bullshit. Okay. Um, See, I know there are some situations. So I talked about your living situation in the part, yeah. like earlier in the podcast, I said that, you know, you've got to think really hard about um, where you're going to live. And sometimes I guess when you're, you know, when you've got so many options like that, it is important to, to like measure them all correctly. Um, and to, if, 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 right. So, so let's say you're 45 year old man, 22 stone of pure fat. And you think to yourself, should I join the gym? Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Get to the fucking gym. The answer is yes. Every yes. single time. Right. And, and, and this guy who's written the book, Naval, is, is already super wealthy. Right. He's, mm-hmm. he's, he's, a, he's a thingy investor in, in whatever it's called, that place in, in somewhere in California. Silicon Valley. Yes. Right. So he's already made loads of money. But most yeah. of the situations where I've made most of my money throughout my life, I've been in situations where I'm unsure of and I've said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to give it a shot. Right. And then, and, 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 and at the beginning, nine times out of 10, those shots were 
ah, shit, I wish I'd have done that. I've just lost five grand. I've just lost 10 grand. I've just lost this. But then all of a sudden, that one comes along and it's like, whoa, we've just made quarter of a million quid in a day. And it's like, okay, I'm glad I took that chance. So I disagree. When I read this bit, I don't think it's in my notes anywhere because uh, if you're unsure, the answer is no. I think he's, 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 he's talking more from a personal level with, with maybe an individual, if you're unsure of a person. So if I, if I meet somebody and I'm unsure that yeah. maybe I don't think I'll be happy or I don't think I can trust them or maybe I'm going to be stressed out through working with them because I feel like they're going to thieve off me, then the answer's no. But in a situation where taking chances, I, I, I think this is wrong. Yeah, so that's kind of, that's where I was going. I've written down missed opportunities underneath it. And um, I, I agree with you. I think this does more apply to... Um, people relationships Personal people yeah. yeah if you're not sure of somebody the answer is no yeah we have like you know they talk about uh the gut the like your gut instinct um the, the, i've heard it described as like the stomach is the ancient brain you know it's like a you feel that feeling in your gut when you're not sure of someone and uh yeah i think that that's a it's a good one to 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 go with when when it comes to people if you're unsure of them hmm, it's probably not going to pay off um, and even if it does, like you said, it's going to be a load of stress, a lot of work. Um, you don't need that. I mean, people have social batteries, don't they? They run, they run pretty low. So when I'm unsure of somebody, I, I, like I don't worry about anything. You know, like you, a lot of the things you guys will say to me is like, "Oh, if this or we're going to lose this, or we're going to make this money, or with this going to work, or isn't it?" And I'm always like, "I don't yeah. give a shit. Whether it works, it doesn't work. It doesn't matter. It's not important." Um, mm-hmm. And it's the same with 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 things like around the house at home. If we get a workman in, and Lorna's like. He's not doing the job exactly as I like. It's like, it's, it's just a fucking house. Who cares? Uh, type of, that's my attitude with things. But if yeah. I was to employ somebody that I didn't like or, or, or I didn't trust or I didn't want to work with every single day, I believe that, in fact, I know that it would keep me awake at night because I have done in the past. Yeah. And it's just like, as well, I think fear is something that people, I definitely need to work on just you know, everyone's scared. Everyone gets scared of things. That's just, that's natural. It's perfectly natural to fear, feel a bit of fear and anxiety occasionally. But I think that it's something that we should try and combat. And that doesn't mean by doing stupid, making stupid decisions. But I think that maybe this question, like you, this um, statement, sorry, it, like you said about the, the chap who needs to go to the gym, like, you know, it, are you just afraid? Because if you're afraid, you're unsure of everything and you're going to say no to everything. Um, you, you, and you know what you just said about fear, yeah. Right? Do you do you do you think this is true? Right? This is this is this is how I look at it, and I've said this to my missus a few times, right? Because I've always say, don't pressure the kids into doing homework, don't pressure the kids into being successful at school, don't pressure them into doing what is expected of them too much, right? I believe okay. that when you're a child, when you're dead little, you're dead happy, you're dead excited, everything yeah. is 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 is, and you don't care what anybody thinks, right? Then what happens is you you get to a certain age where you start becoming self-conscious and that's because of what's taught to you by the outside world, by schools, by parents, by doctors, by whoever's teaching you all this bullshit, right? Mm -hmm. And what happens is at about 10 year old, you start to become self-conscious and all the way through your teens and your twenties, that stays with you all the way through, right? So you start to get into your thirties and then what happens, that self-consciousness starts to disappear again. And you go back to what like it was when you was a child where you'd start actually realize when you're getting into your forties that, Actually, everything people told me to follow the rules and do this is, is absolutely all bullshit and, and it doesn't make any sense. And then you stop worrying about what people think again. And that's why you get these older people who are like 
they just purposely run around and just give people shit and be because they're like, you know what? It's all bullshit. I don't care what anybody thinks, but I think you're at that stage when you're happiest as a child. And I think because of the way society is designed to, to mold us, that we become self-conscious, we become afraid, we become in a situation where we make decisions based on other people rather than what we want to do. And we do it all the way through to our 30s. And some people never get over that self-consciousness. I know people in the 60s that are still like really worried about what people think and what are they going to say? And, oh, I hope they don't think that that's because of me. Whereas I, I yeah. think you have to fight to either... If you've got your own kids, I believe you don't want to put them in a situation where where they need to feel self-conscious, where they need to feel like it is the be-all and end-all. Like... If you don't get educated and pass all your exams and do this in school, you're going to be nothing when you grow up. Them type of yeah. things. And I think it's even more, It's in, in the States, I think it's even worse because everybody's expected to go through school, go through college, go through uni, and they, they believe that if you don't get the sort of degrees and stuff like that, that you're never going to go anywhere and you need to go to a good college and university or no one will employ you. Whereas in the yeah. UK, it's not so bad. Um, but it's still at the state where it's- I feel that people, it's manufactured fear. It's hard to break, isn't it? Yeah. The, the man that manufactured fear because it is manufactured, like and and there's a reason behind it. When you see it, it's clear as day when you're in schools. Like obviously, they're getting funding for the people that achieve, that are high achievers. Like that's how they base success. Like schools don't base their success on the happiness of their pupils. They base their success on the success of their pupils in within the confines of what they deem to be success. So naturally, we're, we're kids are just learn to be afraid of have you seen what they started doing at school school um sports days now though well i don't know if this is at every school but it's at my kids school and i'm like <laughs> no is, what is this? i mean I, I remember saying i, I remember saying come this is ridiculous this is stupid right so there is no winners there is no losers there's only t- taking part uh awards. Well, so nobody wins they all nobody get wins, because nobody loses it's just a taking but the kids know it's like that guy's just won and yeah you can see he ran faster than everyone else it's like it, and, and it's like they're teaching them don't cheer on the 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 people who win instead just cheer for everybody because they all took part and it's like nah don't do that i'm like there is something to being driven in this life and otherwise we wouldn't have cars out there that people had manufactured and built we wouldn't have we would never have made the wheel because everyone would be like ah fuck it let's just chill and all applaud each other yeah you know walking isn't so bad it's great that we can walk. Let's, why do we need the wheel? It's cool. Well, I can carry my own shit. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's like, because you, you, you can see where they're coming from with that. And I think that it is, it, you know, it's important to, it is important to socialize people, to make them feel like they're part of something, to encourage people that aren't fast at running, to try to run fast and to try and join in. Participation losses. is important. Right. And if you don't participate, you never lose. So yeah, it is important to reward participation, but it's like well, if, they've if missed you missed the point, you never lose. They're in a situation where you never lose whether you participate or you don't participate. It doesn't make any sense. I think every. Well, every because you only really lose if you don't participate, right? Because then you don't learn anything from the situation. So um, that's why I think that they're trying to to make that. I don't that, think you uh, lose from that either. I don't think you lose if you don't participate. It's like I think it's a stupid not? fucking race. Why would I want to be the fastest to get across the field? <laughs> okay, I don't give a but... shit if he can run faster than me or if uh, what do I get out? I don't see. I mean, I see the benefit of competition, and I think the benefit of it is the losing and understanding that the, these small losses throughout life 
teach you to be a stronger person. And if you're teaching everybody that nobody loses and you just all need to take part, I think they're teaching society to be sheep and to mm-hmm. follow the rules and do this and, 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 and not try to compete and not try to, I, I just, I think it's an abs. I mean, we're, yeah country the world has been built on competition forever and, and yes, when you get older you've never suffered a loss if you get to an age in your 20s and you've never lost anything because all the way through school you thought oh it's just the taking part that counts you're in for a mm-hmm. real rude awakening and there's going to be a lot of stressed out there's going to be a lot of kids committing suicide and all sorts of stuff for growing up because they've never felt lost throughout their whole lives when they're most resilient when they're children and instead yeah. they're feeling it for the first time in their 20s and like oh i can't take this jump in front of a train and that's compounded with the issue of everyone at school telling them that that failing is an absolute failure. Like it's done. Like if you fail, you fully, you're finished. Yeah. You know, like oh, if you finish this, you're done. Oh, there's a reset, but you know, but people are like, oh, I don't want to reset because of the status thing. Oh, no one around me is resetting. You know, if they didn't publish the results, if they, if people, students didn't like talk about their results but also if they weren't published if they weren't handed to you in front of everyone on results day which is a very symbolic gesture isn't it when you think about it it's like get everyone from the whole year cohort to come in go into the big hall and then we'll hand everyone their little booklets and their their results they all open them at the same time oh my god i got a d i've got an a is that how it works that's how it worked at my school and i remember being there and i was like this is a very strange situation because it just doesn't allow you it doesn't allow you to be it forces you to measure your success externally rather than rather than internally which is the only place that success really matters um because you know if if i was working for for example uh, i'm not very good at math um, and this book is actually making me want to go and learn a little bit of math because he talks about um, mathematics quite a lot. You can tell he's like a science guy. Um, and um, we'll talk about math as well when we talk about Sumerians later on. I saw your notes. Um, and uh, the so if I, I was struggling with math and I'd never got higher than a than a than a I think a D or an an E or something in math, I was pretty bad but i was in a in a high set so the kids around me were quite you know they were they were either pretty good at math or pretty good at english because that was you know that's how they worked it out i was an english kid other kids were math kids i, I suck kid. i could never spell i still can't okay. spell don't know english but i'm brilliant with numbers Always well there we go numbers. business thing that's uh some some like innate talent of yours that you i can work, work out in. how much we're gonna make if, if if i've got a if somebody says to me, right, we're going to build this product, it's going to cost us this, this is what's the tax, this is the inflation, this is how much you're going to make each month for it, how much you're going to make over the next 10 years in profit, and give me a minute or two and I, I know the answer. Without touching anything, I, I can, I'm great with numbers. I've always been good with numbers. And I never went to school. It was just a natural thing. I was just good with numbers. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and I, before school, I was I was telling stories and you know, speaking with adults and stuff and using language in a more advanced way. It's always been something I've been interested in. So it, I guess it, it does take you either way, doesn't it? Um, but yeah, I remember being really bad at it. And I, and I, if I had just got a C in math, just a pass, that's all I wanted. That was my goal, was just a pass. That would have been great for me. But among my class, I would still be in like the bottom sort of quarter of the people. Uh, overall in math, I actually got a B. 
Um, and what? funnily enough, that's because the test was so hard that everyone's grades were everyone scored lower than they normally would, and it the so the, the boundaries. Yeah, so they moved the boundaries of what um, and the grades that would be. So it fucking ridiculous. Why can't right? do that? I was like, okay, like, I'll take you know it. What? <laughs> these are all in doctor school, but these three guys in doctor school killed less people than everyone else, so they're qualified because we need three doctors. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it that's fucking stupid. Yeah, it is a bit strange. It it was a bit strange, but yeah, it was one of those one of those weird weird situations. I don't understand this question that's on the screen. Okay. How does our mindset affect our wealth? Yeah, it's true. It's a bit vague, isn't it? Um, so I, where I was going with this was people that resent money. Mm -hmm. They believe, I think, in if you say billionaire to the majority of the population, I think, and you are asked if that is a positive or a negative term, I think most people would say negative. I think most people think the billionaires are bad people. Because for some reason, I think it's probably for governments to avoid scrutiny. Look, Buffett, he's not a bad person. No, but I think I, I don't think a lot of these people are bad people. But my point is, I think a lot of people would think yeah. that they're bad because the the media's the sort of zeitgeist at the moment is billionaires are you know how can we have we have more billionaires every year? It's ridiculous. People are becoming billionaires whilst other people are below the breadline that's not the billionaire's fault a lot of the time unless they're exploiting people i mean like i'm not talking about like uh oil gas companies that are like hiking profits exploitation and starts the gov water. government and moves into criminals it's, I don't well, it's legislation isn't it like it, yeah, if, it if what they were doing was illegal if what they were doing was illegal they wouldn't be doing it you know, they, they've made loopholes specifically for this because it enriches them and their crony friends. It's, it's one of the negative, it is one of the negative aspects of a capitalist society, crony capitalism. Like it, it, it is something that could happen. I think billionaires have been, have been made out to be really bad people because they're not solving all of the world's problems. Like, you know, oh, Elon Musk I've, has this amount of money. He could just solve world hunger overnight. It's like, well... <laughs> I think I've answered this later on in my mean? notes. I'm not going to say it yet, but I think I've answered this question then later on in my notes. Okay. Well, well, I was just going to go on to say that resenting money makes it harder to come by. Like if you don't, if you're, if you feel like money is evil, that wealth is evil, sorry, not just money, that wealth is evil. Money is just a thing. It's a tool. It's, it's, it can't be evil. But if, if you think the wealth is evil, then you're going to really struggle to to. If you do wealthy. something for the sake of doing it, rather than doing something to try and make money, you will money becomes a byproduct anyway. I found that with right. everything that I've ever done that, that I've I've done because I enjoy it has always made money. Whereas when I do some when I when so for example when I tried to go into different because with the locksmith and I needed to get into that and I I made a lot of money mm. in a lot of different industries, but what I found is when I was doing it for the locksmith and I enjoyed it. I loved it. I built these sites. I built the pages. I ranked them. I followed the SEO. I, I searched Google every single day. I didn't use any software. I just searched to find if I was ranking or not ranking. Mm -hmm. uh, and I did I did lots because it was for me personally. It was building my family. It was something that, and I, I was interested in picking locks and breaking into stuff. In fact, <laughs> I've actually got. 
I still pick locks in the office, right? And I've got door locks over here. Look at this. <laughs> I've got three door locks <laughs> in my office that I pick. Just to That's keep you nice. sharp. I like to. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I it's enjoyed it's picking fun. locks. So, but, but what I'm saying is, is because I enjoyed the locksmithing, because I enjoyed picking locks, because I enjoyed, I mean, the, the, I've got a picture on my phone of my little lad picking my missus's car uh, <laughs> last weekend. And he picked <laughs> the car open and he's picked it open. I've taught him how to do it. And it's like, it's, it, it was, I did it because when I found out a locksmith was a thing, because I didn't know it was even a thing. When, yeah. when, when I met my mate and he'd made like 700 quid that day and he was like, oh, I am a locksmith. I was like, what the fuck is a locksmith? I've never even heard of it. And he's like, we're breaking, because I thought you go to a key cutters to get keys. I didn't think about people getting locked out. Well, that was like a fire brigade thing. Um, and when I found out, so, so I was like, so there's actually people that can break into anything. And I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. I'd love to be able to do that. And I just went mental on picking locks and started trying to be able to pick everything. Yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. Every other industry but, I've gone after, I've done it for money and I've made money, but I've never enjoyed it. So I've never gone to the point where we're doing thousands and thousands of leads in any other industry because there was no interest there. Yeah. Well, that was one that I wasn't going to give the lockpicking example for you, but that's a perfect example is that it, it was a positive sum game. You won because you were happy. Yeah. People won because you were letting them back into their homes. Um, your family won because you were making loads of money off it. It was great. That's a positive sum game. That's that's brilliant. So that's ethical wealth generation. That's that's uh you know a, a good way of of looking at generating wealth. And you mentioned it in your webinar when you're talking about digital real estate. Um the uh you mentioned how the process that you're doing and the 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 method and the outcome is ethical. It is a positive sum game. You win because you're making money. The customers win because they're getting the best possible deal from the um, contractors that you're working with. Um, and the contractors win because you're getting them customers. So it, it's a positive sum game. So, you know, people, when people look at stuff like making money online, they often default to probably the, the thing they've been most, most exposed to, which is scams, pyramid schemes, when, you know, when yeah. these things kind of go wrong. Um, and I think that that can lead to a, well, I don't want to do that because I don't want to, you know, I, I, for a long time I saw wealth as being like a, a, a something that, that is negative. You know, wealthy people have to screw someone over. It's got to be a zero-sum game. You know, someone's going to be... Um, someone has to lose out. But what I, I was getting wealth and status mixed up. And um, because status is a zero-sum game. Yeah, and it doesn't matter I was looking, what the outside world think. And that, that's yeah, got, well, that and matter. people have to lose. Someone has to be losing for someone to be the top dog. Yeah, because if, yeah, because I mean, if, if, if I turn around, if I turn around, if somebody turns around and says to me, fucking hell, you're fat, that means somebody's skinny. But if they say yes. someone's skinny, that means somebody's fat. But if everybody's fat, then nobody loses. So it's kind of a comparison right. apples with apples, but one of them's a winner and one of them's a loser. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even in regards to wealth, like if everyone had, because wealth is almost like a personal thing because it depends on your means. It depends how you live, you know, because you could be proportionately as wealthy as someone living in a massive house, but they're house poor. 
um so they're not actually as wealthy wealthy as you i know so, loads of people that have done that they, they spend uh, thousands every month on a mortgage and it's like what do you get out of it you know when you're sat in a room there's only, you can only take up so much space why the fuck yeah it starts off with being carpool right i know that yeah it's like it's the same yeah i i yeah. preferred my you never seen it did you i had a mercedes minibus that i bought in spain can't remember how much yeah. i spent on it but it was a 2009 it had these electric sliding doors so I could press the buttons and they'd slide open at the back and they had like seats for the kids and everything. And we could go to like McDonald's, but rather than sitting in, we'd go through the drive-thru and then we'd all sit in the back and it was it was just, I loved it. Um, and then Martin wanted us to get these company cars. So he bought us these fucking electric Mercedes. Um, <laughs> brand spanking new. And I, I know you shouldn't look at the past and compare it, but I loved my old big, my big beat up old van. It was awesome. And it, and it was old as shit and it was comfortable yeah. for the family. And and, and, it, and if the kids was, you could get changed in the back of it and all, it was just good. And, and I hate this electric Merc that I'm yeah. driving now. It's, well, they say, it says in the book, doesn't it? It's easy. It's easier for, that's why he talks about uh, getting wealthy before you focus fully on happiness and fulfilling your, like fulfilling um, happiness and finding inner peace is because it's easier for a man who's had a Ferrari, let's say, to say, you know what, I preferred it when I had my little minivan. Yes, no. you know, yeah. it's, it's easier for them to to be like, yeah, I I, I don't need that actually. But when you don't have one, you're like, well, I, I could. <laughs> it would be pretty nice to have a Ferrari, you know. But yeah. realistically, it, it probably wouldn't. It Luckily, I'm not really a car guy. So I, I never have no. to worry about going carpool. What we were talking about a minute ago with the locks and the thingy, look, that specific knowledge versus yes. the high-paying career is exactly what we were just talking about. It's a case of if you do something you enjoy, you can do it 15, 16, 17, 18 hours a day and you don't feel like you're working, so you don't wake up stressed every day like, oh, fuck, I worked 18 hours yesterday. Whereas if you're a high-paying career, let's say you was a lawyer, which I'm, I'm a... I, I wanted to be a lawyer when I was a kid, but I, I never went to school. Uh, but yeah. it was always a thing I wanted to do. I think I would have been so fat, so depressed and so disappointed if I had been a lawyer now because, I mean, it's it's lots of paperwork, it's long hours, it's boring, it's, it just doesn't, I just don't see the appeal, but it's a high-paying career. Yeah, Whereas, and why you wanted to do it was probably because it was a high-paying career. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not like, proud. you know, yeah, status. also status games, you know, yeah. that's not good enough motivation. Um and yeah to using specific knowledge specific knowledge is a superpower right like you, if you're out there competing with everyone there is only one thing that you can beat everyone in the world at and that is being yourself and there are things that you have that other people don't or haven't realized that they've got that you can use as a form of leverage um he says that if you're the best in the world at something then everyone in the world will pay you for it Yes. Yeah. And it's genius quote. Yeah. And, and he also says about how being the best at something is like, uh, is like the, the best form of luck. Right. He says like, because if you're, so you should, do you think you should be spending your time trying to figure out what it is that you are the best at or what it is that you love to do rather than, because most people copy other people, don't they? Yeah, they uh, like, imitate like, doing this podcast, a lot of the guys who, who I speak to on the webinar things and the, the groups were in, they're like, you're fucking mental. Why are you doing that? And I'm like, because I enjoy it. Because yes. do you know what? I've read two or three books a week for years and years and years and years and years. And now this is the only time I've got a focused learning. 
It's focusing me every single week to finish the book, to go through it all, to understand it. And I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, I've noticed like a, there's like a, uh, a scheduling to the questions that I get about the podcast when I talk about it. It's normally like, um, oh, wow, what, what do you talk about? And I explain. I'm like, okay, awesome. Oh, so you have to read these books. Which book have you done this week? And then I tell them. And then they go, oh, okay, do you get many listeners? That's always like the, the next one that comes across. And um, I, I like that, that that isn't the first thing that people have been asking me. It shows that they, they understand to a point why I'm doing it, but it, the fact that it still comes up, like, do you get many people join, tune in? Like, well, that's a status thing. Yeah, because they're like, oh, right, so are you famous yet? <laughs> and it's like, yeah. oh, no, that's not what it's for. And my answer is always the same. No, I'm not actually doing it for the listeners. Sorry if you are listening to this. Um, I am doing it for me uh, because it's. I really enjoy it. I look forward to it every week. It's like the Fridays are the best day. I'm looking forward to it all week long. I love uh learning about new stuff i i think that um we'll probably talk about truth and its relation to happiness later but seeking out knowledge and truth is something that's super important to me um it's just something that in, innately i've always felt that way and i really wanted to build a reading habit but i was so lazy and this is something that like kicked my ass to be like you need to build a reading habit and now i'm building a writing habit because i've of my reading habit and i i want to publish my first book and it's all coming out of this so yeah it, it, it's awesome and specific knowledge again it's something i've always loved talking i love talking to people i love having deep interesting conversations about stuff it's hard to you know it's hard to monetize that you know it's hard to product to to become a product in that way of being like oh, i just talk to loads of people and uh, just you know say interesting things or talk about interesting topics but um this is one of the best ways of doing it and There's only one Jordan Peterson, though, isn't there? There is only one Jordan Peterson. That's true. That guy does it. He just talks and talks and talks, and everyone's like, "Wow, yeah. I want to watch this guy again and again and again." <sighs> yeah, that's true. His, I think it might be. I mean, he says some pretty awesome stuff, but his voice as well is really interesting because he kind of sounds like Kermit. Because he people. He went against what everybody else said. That's why, if if you if you look, he started. He, he was a professor in a school, wasn't he? Yeah. And I think yeah. he was close to losing his job because of some of the shit he was saying. Which yeah, was he did eventually his... lose his job. He's lost almost he... everything from his professional life because of the things he said. But he was all bollocks anyway. He's happy now. It and he takes his daughter bollocks, around with him yeah. and they travel the world and get paid loads yeah. of money and do something he enjoys. She's very attractive. Yeah, I've not seen her. I just know he takes his daughter everywhere yeah. with him. Yeah. Right, next one. Beautiful girl. All right, so... Uh, how does viewing happiness as staying in the present moment compare to other definitions of happiness? Um, so I thought that happiness staying in, a, in the present moment um, is interesting because it's kind of the same as what Stoicism saying. And I know you've been reading a lot of Stoicism, so uh, I thought this would be a good kind of uh, comparison to do with sort of Naval's way of saying like, you know, happiness, staying, being present all the time and, and the stoic kind of philosophy of trying to stay present. Um, well, it basically says the, hist the past is gone, so stop thinking about it. Mm -hmm. The future's not guaranteed. It doesn't really exist yet. So just live for now. Yeah. Yeah, I the like present that. is... I think it's cool. Yeah. Uh, and I found real comfort in stoicism when I was going through a rough time in, in my life a few years ago. A few years ago last year 
oh my god last year and um it the main thing that was that that appealed to me from it was that you cannot control anything other than the present that's the only thing you have any control no, over can't is control the present. The present, i disagree with you the only thing you can control is your emotions is what goes on in your own head and everything else is not up to you you can't control the present because if you was controlling the present you get run over and you're dead you didn't control it but you can control what goes on in your head you can control your thoughts that's it well you can your control whether or not you cross the road to get but hit can you either. but you still can't control the present you don't you, you're still always in i get you can live in the present but you can't control the present okay you can't control anything except what what your head in my opinion all right okay i can see where you're coming from with that yeah I just think that it, that's the only thing you have any any kind of say in, though. You know, you you it's do right have now. a say. Is the the present moment is the only thing that you can, because you know, I there are things that I you know I could do some crazy stuff right now, and I would that would be me, you know, exercising that in the present. But I can't. I couldn't if I had like a mental breakdown in two weeks and like smashed a jar of coffee over my head. That. <laughs> I would. Sorry, I you just, just look at the coffee across the I was office. A jar of coffee. <laughs> Could you tell? Um, yeah. Uh, so if I did that, then I, I wouldn't have any control right now over doing that in the future. I think. Okay. All right. But basically, the point I'm trying to make is that if you can't, um, if you can't control it, if there's nothing you can do about it then don't worry about it because there's nothing you yeah. can do. So what's the point in worrying? But if you can change something, if you can control it, do the thing and don't worry because you've done the thing. So there's literally no need to feel like that dread, anxiety, worry about anything in the future. Was it, I was in a very uncertain place. I had I was living in Praga on my own. I'd just been through a breakup. The immigration police were looking for me. My future was very uncertain. I had to leave all my jobs, and um, I was like, "Well, there's nothing I can do about it." Literally, nothing. I was wanted by the immigration. Police I was a wanted man. I, I, that was a situation <laughs> that I thought would, you know, when you when I went traveling abroad for the first time and I started like doing visa stuff, like paperwork and that. Like, it just doesn't. I, I'm not careful enough for it. And I was lucky enough to have other people doing the paperwork for me in uh, Hong Kong. And it was easy in Hong Kong because I'm a British citizen. So they were like, come on in. Um, yeah. I know in, a few people that's got businesses in Hong Kong and they don't pay any oh, tax. Mate, Hong Kong's sick. Have you ever been? Well, uh, no, but, but the guys that, that I know awesome. have got businesses in Hong Kong, they don't pay any tax. But apparently the Hong Kong make you do loads of crazy shit every six, 12 months. You better set yeah. up in Dubai. It's six months. You've got to do. Uh, you've got to like go to Macau and then go back into Hong Kong. If you live in Hong Kong, you like get a ferry to Macau and then go back. And um... you're better off setting up in Dubai because it's apparently nicer place to visit, and there's they're a lot less bothered about the rules. It's a more central location as well. Being in the Middle East, you can literally go to Asia, go to Europe. It's like yeah. Up to you. And I mean, if you're going to go to America, it's going to be a bloody long flight anyway. So who cares? Um, yeah, so Hong Kong was super easy. Thailand is a pain in the ass, but luckily there was this um, guy who would come in with these little rice cake things and bribe all the visa people to make me go first in line so I didn't have to wait. The guy was a legend. Um, and um, uh, But Prague, when I was moved to the Czech Republic, I did all of it myself. 
but it was all in Czech. So I couldn't do it myself at all. I had to pass it off to my, um, to my ex-girlfriend and her mum to basically sort it out themselves. And I trusted them to do it right. And they, and they did a great job. But I remember going to my visa meeting and I was used to going with someone who was like, had been to like 20 visa meetings, knew exactly what to say, what documents to give, et cetera. And I remember going with my girlfriend at the time and they're just speaking in Czech and this super moody, like big Eastern European woman is looking at me from like below her eyebrows. And um, I remember my, they're chatting away in Czech and then suddenly my ex-girlfriend just bursts into tears <laughs> and she's like trying to argue with this lady through tears. And I'm like, what's going on? Someone explain to me what's going on. And I was getting so angry and they just refused to talk to me in English. Um, Cause they were like, it's not fair. You're Lying speaking. Yeah, I can imagine it was a similar thing. We had to do all that, but I just pay, I paid a woman who just went around and did everything. But we had to go with her. They had to see your face, which was a pain in yeah. the ass because it made you stay there for hours. Mm -hmm. But this one then, the quiet mind versus the monkey mind. Uh, yeah, I put this one in there because I thought it was interesting how similar it was between this and the um, chimp paradox, uh, and how um, the chimp paradox is almost like a scientific way of explaining this buddhist view of the monkey mind um, which is when you have a restless mind that's always thinking about the past always thinking about the future it's never in one place um which is stressful really stressful it's a definition of stress right is is one thing trying to be in two places at the same time yeah. so if you think of like a piece of metal you put stress on it physically by trying to bend it put it in two places at once how do you think you teach yourself to stop thinking then um so it's not about not thinking because i don't think you, you can teach yourself to stop thinking um i think you can very shortly like a very temporary thing so if you do like uh for example when i do jujitsu i don't think really i just just react i don't really think i'm like it's hyper present because there's lots of adrenaline you know, I'm getting like you, you get hit in the face and you don't feel it because it's just um, the adrenaline's pumping through you. So you don't really think. So you can do that, but it's a very temporary thing. I don't think you could walk around doing that all the time. And if you did, like you said earlier, I think you'd probably get hit by a car because yeah, you would you'd... be just, you wouldn't be thinking. You'd be so switched on. And biologically, I, sorry, you'd be so like tuned out. I think biologically, that's not something that we can do because we have to think and we have to make decisions and worry kind of worry about things because otherwise our ancestor would get eaten by a tiger and then we never would have been born. So it, you know, we have to worry about that kind of stuff. It's innate to us, but I love this next quote of yours. that's coming up in a minute. Nice. Yeah. That's one of my favorite one. We'll, we'll probably get to that in a second. I'll talk about quiet mind as well, but like, um, uh, yeah, about the quiet mind. Sorry. So I think rather than stopping yourself, from thinking i think it's more about being aware that you're thinking and observing your thoughts without being like judgmental of it so instead of being like oh look at me my thoughts are running away from me again like oh, i can't get in control of my own head so don't put that pressure on yourself just be like this is normal this is happening this is fine i'm thinking about this i'm thinking about that but you don't go down a rabbit hole just let the thoughts pass you by and don't attach any like real sort of meaning behind them just let them do their thing and and i think that's a good way of relaxing and feeling peaceful which is kind of the definition of happiness i actually have a, a um i went on holiday recently with a bunch of friends and um there's a um 
one of them they're in a couple and uh it's really funny because they are the examples of the quiet mind and the monkey mind like they're like embodied quiet mind and monkey mind and they are they've been together for like nine years ten years so it just shows how how hilarious that is like opposites attract in in some ways but he's like always really quiet only says things when he has to is still really funny present really great guy to be around super friendly really kind but he's just you know he only speaks when he has to speak he doesn't he's not always like in your face whereas his uh girlfriend is like mega highly strung like really chaotic and all over the place with her thoughts will say the first thing that pops into her head which was kind of hilarious like her talking about like having a sweaty ass on the plane in front of everyone you're just like what the hell why would you say that but it's just monkey mind it's i like people thing. like that me because if you've yeah, got a room it, full of people um or if you've got a small group of people it's if if everybody's quiet you have to try and you feel obliged to to start the conversation whereas people like that take kind of make it so easy for everybody else to yeah they're like a social facilitator yeah, they're great. I like people that like me. And some people don't because they're like, oh, they do me everything. They never shut up. I love being around people that never shut up because I'm like, I don't need to then make the effort. You can sit back and just kind of wing it off there. Yeah, you can bounce off them. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's great. Yeah, well, I get on with her really well. I think she's really nice. But it's just it's just funny how those two things, like even though you, they conflict in the person um, outwardly, even though these people's personalities are really like that, they're, they're still attracted to each other and and their relationship works probably because of it so it's kind of interesting um all right let's read this quote so desire is a contract you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want love it love that it's a good one desire, yeah it is it's true because everybody's and 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 there's something else that's mentioned in the book where he basically says about you living um pe people live for an imaginary future mm -hmm. uh, the suffering now for an imaginary future that doesn't yet exist. And a lot of people do it. It's like, oh shit, I bought this house and I bought this thing, you know, I've, I've bought this car, but I want this car and I want this house. And then when you get that house, you want a bigger one and a different one. And I feel like um, a lot of, most people live for retirement. A lot of people, I remember yes. my dad saying 20 years ago, I'm going to reti retire in 20 years, or retire in 10 years, or retiring. And I, I, I think he might have retired now, or maybe he's close to it, but it's like, you spend your whole, all of your best years unhappy uh, working towards actually getting some freedom when you're old. But when you're old, you uh, you have a lot more problems. You wake up with, I mean, I have to take an aspirin every day. And I take an aspirin every day because my legs ache. I don't know why, but if I take an aspirin every day, it doesn't. So I don't know what it is or why mm. it is. And if anyone knows why, put it in the comments below and let me know <laughs> and maybe stop me from having a summit. Yeah, but I just take an aspirin every day and it doesn't affect me. I, I don't seem to get the, the same problem. But if I don't, I get like pins and needles in my feet and stuff. And mm. as you get older, those little tiny niggly problems become worse and worse and worse and worse. So by the time you retire, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to get up and go surfboarding i don't want to get up and go out on a speedboat and have loads of fun you just want to sit by the side of the thing drinking coffee and chill in most cases and i feel like most people waste their whole lives focusing on a future that might never happen yeah i think we're also sold a i think we're sold an image a manufactured image of what retirement is that everyone sort of thinks about it's like 
oh, yeah, I'll retire. And they think about like, ah, then I can relax and sip on a martini on the beach or like just chill. It'll be, you know, it's, it's all good. Everything's finished. And it's like, well, your problems don't just go away because you've retired. Like, and like if you're stressed out in your day job, you should have quit it ages ago. Like, why are you putting yourself through that kind of stress anyway? So, um, is that a, is a contract you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want? I think that is so smart. I love that comment. I love it. Like, if, if you're constantly chasing, 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 you never get any time to just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. And, and I, I think that that's one of the things that after university, I definitely felt because I was like, okay, now I've left university. I need to be, a, I'm going to become a professional writer. Um, I'm going to be a published author. I don't know what I'm going to write. I don't know what I'm going to write about, um, but that's fine. I'm going to just get a job and I'll get a job in London and I'll go into content writing or copywriting, but I don't know what that is, but that's fine because that's what I'm supposed to do. And um, I desired it. I desired to be successful, but I, I, wasn't, spe I wasn't really specific about what I wanted. And um, I was just, yeah, super unhappy, super unhappy. I was like, oh, I'm, but I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm grinding. This is what it's all about. But it's, it's not, not at all. Like um, you have to look at it in a different way um, and enjoy what you're doing in the present moment. Um, otherwise, it's really hard. I don't really understand hard. this one. Um, so can we learn happiness as a skill? So um, Naval talks about um, that uh, sort of like, uh, earning money and wealth generation and stuff is a skill. Um, and he also says that happiness is a skill too, that we have to learn. I um, think I ask it in a different way than later on in my notes. Cause I've, I think we move on to my notes next, don't we? My we notes do. are much shorter. They don't make any sense to anyone other than me. Um, good prompts. I looked through them and I was like, I was excited to talk about some of them, but um, yeah, we can move on to them now if you want, if you think that you cover this, if you cover this I, I was just talking about like the um happiness as a skill is happiness is internal it it belongs to us and only us and if you want if you think a ferrari is going to make you happy it's just not it might make you feel happy for a while but it's an external thing like it, it'll it'll disappear like it doesn't you know what i mean it's cats yep it's just a car it's, 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 it's just about a car. learning it's just to a control house. how you it's thought. just a job it's you know, yeah, it's it's about that. And um, how, again, we've spoken about it earlier, how society and culture sort of makes you want external things because they're trying to sell you things all the time. They tell you, you're constantly reminded that external things bring you happiness. This next product will bring you happiness. Look at how happy you'll be once you've got this. Um, but that's just not the case. Like it is, it, it could make you happy for a while, but it's just like, isn't that, you know, I did the exact same. That's why I moved to Spain. I always wanted to live in a sunny country because I thought the, the weather in the UK depressed me. Um, and when you move out there, it, then there's loads of mosquitoes all the time. So it's kind of, it's, it's a whole other problem that you get with that. I always wanted a, yeah. a house with a pool in the garden, not an indoor pool. I wanted a pool outside in a hot country. So I got it, moved into a house with a pool, with all the other stuff and... I probably went in the pool five times the whole time I lived there. Most of the time I went and did exactly what I enjoyed doing, which was going to my office and work on things that keep my mind occupied. And I think that's the key to, to what you're on about there. Happiness is a skill. If you can teach your mind to enjoy what you're doing or to not be upset and depressed when something goes wrong, then you can be happy, can't you? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's that. And it's also, you know, it, it's it's doing what you enjoy. 
because everyone has a different definition of happiness. You know, some people, you know, you love going into your office and, and grinding and doing that work. Whereas I might enjoy doing something completely different, something more creative or whatever, you know, it, everyone has a different view of what happiness is. So they have to, they have to find what that is. And then the skill is being able to implement that in their day-to-day -day life so that they have, you know, a, a happier time. Okay, we're going on to my notes, yeah? Let's do it. So the first note I put up was happy, health, happiness. Oh, it don't make sense. It should have just said happy, health, and wealth, right? And the reason I put these up in this <laughs> start, order... Start strong. But don't worry, there will loads of spelling mistakes in mind. Uh, happiness, health, and wealth. I think these are the three most important things. People say the yes. three biggest... Um, the three biggest uh, places you can sell to is health, wealth, and relationships. But I think mm -hmm. the reason I've put them in this order is I feel that happy, being happy is more important than being healthy because not everybody's got the choice to be healthy, but you can choose to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. And then, and, and I believe money comes second or third if you can look after your health. It's like I feel a million times better because for the last six months, mm -hmm. I've been coming into the office every single day at seven in the morning and going in my gym and doing a workout. Yeah. Um, I feel even better recently because only in the last uh, probably four weeks, maybe even less, instead of lifting big heavy weights, what I've been doing is I've been doing sets of, uh, of 20 on everything I do. So I'll do three sets of 20 rather than three sets of, of six to eight to 10, you know, and lifting as heavy as possible. What yeah. I used to do is I used to lift heavy for, for say a set of 10, a set of 10, a set of 10, and I'd keep going heavier until I could, couldn't do six and then I'd stop. Um, and yeah. I was always getting injuries. Anyway, in my opinion, ha focus on being happy first, focus on teaching yourself to be happy, uh, then start looking at your health and make that more important, and then talk about wealth. But I do talk about something about wealth in a minute, why being wealthy is very, very, very important. Yeah. But, I mean, ha happiness and health are really, really intrinsically linked because unhappy people are less healthy. That That is almost, like, a fact and that compounds because if you're unhappy then you get then you build habits because you're desperate for a little bit of dopamine and dopamine short-term dopamine release habits are usually not very good for your health whether that's um sugar um alcohol drugs those kind of things negative impact on your health and that will in turn negatively impact your wealth because unhealthy unhappy people make shit decisions naval says it in the book actually he talks about he says you sat here now you're reading this on with a book you've got access to being able to go get a cup of coffee you've got access to clothes you've got all this and really what you should be is you're just a monkey that's in clothes and really you should be sat in a jungle worrying about where you're going to get your next meal from and basically yeah that's all you've got is your health and your happiness yeah um, and it's and taken that, that it. away from us hasn't it society the way it is like you, you think that's why when I said about happiness being, you can't attach happiness to an external thing. Like the proof is in the pudding. Like we have is, yes. everything, we have everything that we need now, but I'm on a podcast, you know, sorry, me, Mrs. Rangan, I thought a better answer. <laughs> I, I, I just thought you were doing some kind of new happiness. Yeah. I thought I better tell her that I'm on a podcast or she'll kill me just, for not, for, because I'm supposed to meet her for, for lunch. Oh God. Uh, my next one. Happiness equals no more desires. So what I'm saying is, if if you've stopped, you can f if you can figure out how to stop desiring, stop looking at other people and wishing, oh shit, I wish I had his six pack, or uh, mm -hmm. or, or looking at um, 
rich people and thinking, I wish I had their money or rich people driving nice cars and think, I wish I had that car. But you can just look and just think, you know what? None of it fucking matters. You can be happy. And then the next one basically says desires equal sadness. So basically yeah. the more you're desiring, the more you're craving, the less you actually get time to be yourself and be happy. Yeah. Uh, they say, uh, um, I think it's a Musashi in the book of five rings says something about being free of, uh, like be free of desire or like desire nothing. So one of the things is about him desiring nothing. And you think that that was important to Musashi who was living in sort of like, you know, Japan. Who was a the long guy that was born ago. a prince? Was that Buddha? Buddha, yeah, Buddha was born and a prince. And he fucked it all off and just decided to go and yeah, chill. and he went, he went and chilled under a tree for a while and gained nirvana, re reached enlightenment. Right, I guess that's the story. And, and, but that's that's the thing. That's one of the reasons why wealth, the connection between wealth and happiness, why nirvana, is saying that you should probably make yourself wealthy before you try and reach some kind of spiritual inner peace happiness you should find things that make you happy but and but to fully focus on being happy should be something that comes after you've become wealthy my enough to afford it all right are you queuing up my next note have you read it or, or... no i haven't just I, just, it. Right, I just did out. a killer promo money won't solve all your problems right but it will solve all your money problems and 70 percent yes. of people's problems in my opinion is money problems so if you could cure 70% of your problems by just getting rich, then why the fuck would you not get rich? Yeah. Especially once you know that everyone can get rich. Yeah, it's dead easy. Uh, well, can, can, can become easy. wealthy. Because, and, and that doesn't even mean earning like huge amounts of money. It just means like living comfortably at your means. Like even if people like, if you want to live in a one bedroom flat and earn a certain amount of money, you go, sweet, nice. That's great. Now I have so much free time earning this you, you know you talk about it in in the digital real estate you say like you know you can have imagine if you had 10 of these websites and they're all earning you a, a grand a month imagine it you know now imagine if you made you know 50 whatever you can you can do that because of all of the because the process gets simpler every time but imagine if your rent was like it was in thailand and it was 200 quid a month and you had 10 of those websites you you wouldn't need to Go to work. Do anything ever. And or yeah. you could actually afford to just focus on doing the thing that made you happy. And if that thing is jujitsu, you could do jujitsu all day, every day. Oh my and... God, you've just sold my course for me. I need to bring you on the next webinar. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you will die soon. Your kids will die. Their kids will die. And you're gone into dust. Proper depressing. Oh, but it's not as say, like this. How are you feeling, this, man? Yeah, this 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 kind of opens you up to being able to not give a shit about anything and not worry about it because um, and then the next the next because I've, I've kind of put these in order so mm. so you will die soon your kids will die soon their kids will die and you'll be all be gone into dust and then I put ten billion what I mean by this is and obviously you can see my my my, my cock up on the spelling as usual ten no space billion you eighty years ten no space what I mean by this is. <laughs> The, the, the planet was here 10 billion years before you were born and you didn't know fuck all about it or what was going on or anything. You're only going to live in maximum healthy for, for maybe 80 years at the very, very, very most mm -hmm. if you're super lucky, which is no time at all. And then the world will be here another 10 billion years after you're gone. So there's no point stressing out about stupid... I mean, if if 
things that, that, that stress us out as people are completely irrelevant. In fact, everything we do is completely irrelevant. Um, yeah. And I was going to just make a point about the, um, about <laughs> what, what you just, I tied up that passive income and BJJ all day. Yes, Alden. Awesome. <laughs> Alden's the man. Right. Um, yeah, I was going to say something about um, the the thing you said about your your kids will die, you will die, blah, blah, blah. Uh, again, real stoic principle, right? Marcus Aurelius loses loads of children in his lifetime, but I'm, I believe he talks about him going to his child whilst his child is sleeping, like when he puts his child to bed and he thinks in his head makes a point to think every single time like you know one day you're gonna die one day this will be the last time i ever see you like this you know this is you're a finite being um and so am i like this is this is not gonna last forever um there are a type of monks i can't remember the name of their particular dedicated sort of sect of monkhood but they uh they meditate next to skeletons and uh, dead bodies to remind them that they at any moment could will, will one day just join them so apparently it makes That's them feel more sick, present man. it's pretty serious yeah, isn't it? it it shows that you're all gonna die soon but fucking hell man they can't they do it can't just watch a scary the movie smell yeah fuck that sumerians i don't know if i spelt this right right sumerians equal i have heard of americans so what basically yes. i put this in because um, i love this part in, of the book. in the book it basically says um name one thing that the Sumerians ever do, did that has actually stuck around that, that is still still important today, and and he said and he basically says that you can't hear of anything. Then he says, now ten thousand yeah. years from now, it might be a hundred thousand years from now, people will probably turn around and say, "Have you heard of Americans?" And people yeah. will say, "Yeah, I've heard of Americans. They were this civilization." That, and when you look at it like that, it kind of get, gets you thinking right outside the box, like, "Holy fucking shit! This doesn't make." any sense like everything that you stress out about everything you worry about everything your kids worry about everything that the the the, the, the illnesses that even dying is not important if you die who gives a shit it doesn't actually matter there's no there's no point to it and yeah. then i came to to this next one which will piss oh. a few people off i was going to jump in on sumerians but go on then i'm, I'm yeah. stopped all right so you said about sumerians and what have they actually given to us that we uh that you know that we know about we don't know anything that they actually their, their legacy hasn't lived on um but it kind of has actually i believe sumerians are the first uh people to uh written language is the first it's the first instance i believe of written language i think you didn't even That's... check this out before you came on to make sure you're not talking shit. well uh <laughs> i think the epic of gilgamesh is okay the, is a Sumerian text, which is super ancient. Um, and it is a, a story about a king, uh, Gilgamesh. He's like a half god, half man. And um, he's the, the king of, Su of the Sumerians. And he has like all of these, um, he goes through all of these trials. His story is really similar to Hercules. Um, and he goes into the, uh, he uh, goes to find the elixir of life because his best friend dies and he starts to fear his own mortality so he goes to look for the elixir of life and that like finding the fountain of youth and when he gets there he realizes you know that death is part of this whole thing and it was a mistake to go there which again is a funny story archetype that we've kept in that's something Throughout. that happens all the time sumerian mythology the great flood or uh, originates they think originates in sumerian um 
mythology, which is in the story of Noah's Ark, is also a great flood. There's a million great floods in history, which is really cool. But this is my favorite Sumerian fact. Um, I actually start my lessons with this. Um, a, a lot of my students, when I have a big class, I always start this. Um, Sumerians could count to 12 on one hand. Do you know how they did it? So uh, if you're listening, have a look at your hands. You might know already. If you know, throw it in the chat. Um, but look at your hands. And uh, how can you count to 12 on one hand? You, work you feel it out. like you're a proper smart ass tricking all these kids. Feel oh, like just it. tricked me as I well. I know it. All right. So can you work it out? I can count to 15 on mine. Count to 15? Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. And then you knuckle six, seven, ah. eight, nine, ten. And then your next knuckle, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. And if yeah. you wanted to be really thin, you could count that knuckle as well. So kind of... You could count even more because the Sumerians counted it on this side. They counted the joins between their fingers so they could do okay. 12, but they didn't do their thumbs. The thumb didn't, didn't count because 12 yeah, was You don't even there. know if that's true because they've been dead for how many years? Like <laughs> they, I, 10. <laughs> I, I think it's just it was just written down. I think they just have visual... Uh, representations of it but that's that's how they counted and 12 was their main store of value so like 10 is ours we count in the you know it's a, the decimal system is all to do with the, the number 10 like one and zeros so but there's 12 years from now what they'll find is a big yellow m and they'll be like yeah they had mcdonald's back then McDonald's, and then they'll find mickey mouse and be like that's what the m stands for is mickey mouse yeah. they worship this mouse god and um yeah <laughs> yeah Right. Let's keep going. Religion is just a control mechanism that uses humans' selfishness and fear against them. How many people Ooh. are pissed off now? Ooh. Okay. Yeah, you're you're ruffling some feathers with this one. It is. Think about it. It was made right. It, go back to the, this one. Ten billion years. There was no fucking religion. Right? Humans are born. Right, they make up all these bullshit religions and all. They're not bullshit. It's 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 faiths, but they make up all these mad different fucking religions, and 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 every single time it's just like it's it's like politics that is designed to control people based off human selfishness and people's fear. People look at it and they're like, okay, I care about me, and inherently we all do. So I believe your religion is just a control mechanism that that uses human selfishness and fear against them. I mean, and that's why we all do as we're told. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see two sides of this. So religion is in an organized religion um, because I think like the terms get conflated a little bit between religion and like spirituality. But religion in terms of an organized religion, I think is a status game. I think it, it shows that there was a class of people that was obviously, we know that there's like a, a king class that's something that's kind of natural to us we've seen kings and like you know there's a chief there's a king there's a lord whatever it's really common we see it in in a lot of societies but i think religion shows like the birth of a priesthood class like what the pope ends up as being like the vicar the cardinals but like in a in a, in a more sort of traditional archaic society it would be like a it would be a healer originally would be like the shaman the spiritualist the person who made the medicine really valuable person and a lot of the time they were tripping on psychedelics and i think that you know they needed to 
I think spirituality and religion is people trying to put the world is a pretty weird abstract place. You know, you see some pretty mad things. If you took away your understanding of science and just looked up at the night sky for like 20 minutes, you'd see stuff that you just can't explain. Like I've seen stuff, I'm pretty sure they were UFOs, but I've seen stuff in the sky that I'm just like, I can't explain that. And you try it was and on psychedelics when you did. So it's kind of I maybe the it was, maybe it was just that your mind was fucking with you. Maybe I was tripping balls. No, there's gotta be, Anthony, if you think about it, there's gotta be there's gotta be stuff out there that has to be Oh for sure. Heat and moisture is kind of creates life. Yeah. And Apparently, they found some on Mars now that showed that there used to be rivers on Mars. Yeah, they found, like, they think that they found, like, frozen lakes. So, so there was definitely some kind of water on there, which is really cool. Water and heat equals life, doesn't it? it there's no way of getting around it because it causes things to rot. Wouldn't it, be, wouldn't it be mad if we got in contact with aliens, say, from, like, I don't know, maybe they were on Mars. Maybe we find evidence. Let's say we find a skeleton on Mars of an alien, and it's just a human skeleton. Yeah, and it and turns out that the iPhones. whole... And yeah, like, and it turns out text Earth. Yeah, and it turns out the whole time that it was actually just us, and uh, we we we're we're not actually original. We're just like a, a colony planet of a larger race that just lost lost contact with its with its home world. I think that could be pretty mad. Um, but in terms of um, word word up, I'm not sure what that was for Alden. Probably about the religion thing. Maybe it was about my amazing Sumerian facts. Who knows? Um, nah. Nah. Thing. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that organized religion is like a status game, but I think that um, spirituality is one of the ways that we can fight against selfishness and, and fear. Um, I think having some kind of... Um, <laughs> I think having... Uh, Alden says that it was about the religion. Okay. Boom. I'll get you next time. I've got to bring better, better Sumerian facts next time. Um, I'll do some research. The um, yeah, and I, I think that it's something that we can use to fight against selfishness and fear. I think that the reading that we're doing now, you know, people—they're not like people have referred to uh, "Think and Grow Rich" as like a you know, like a rich person a, a bible to rich people and stuff. I think having if you if you have some kind of um, some kind of spiritual um, grounding, some like thing in your head, a moral almost to live by that you apply to everything. I think that that can help you fight against things like selfishness um, and depression and, and all that shit. Yeah, you don't yeah. And people say this with the with Buddha. I was talking about this the other day. Like people are happy to take teachings of Buddhism and go, "Wow, yeah, that's really wise. That's really insightful." And they don't, and they think they don't think about like when you actually go to a Buddhist majority country and they're taking loads of donations and all the statues are built in gold. And you're like, yeah, you're just basically Eastern Catholicism, you know, like you, that's just an, that's just what the end game of religion It's like religion plus capitalism equals whatever the hell we've got in terms of religion these days. But um, we don't look at in the West, we don't look at Jesus in that way. A lot of us don't. Um, I've kind of started to, but we don't look at Jesus in that way where we go, wow, that has some really insightful, great things to offer. Um, Do you we know just what? I think like, Jesus yeah, the church Christ is super evil. shows the power of public speaking. That's what I think Jesus Christ is. He proves the power of public speaking throughout history. The people that have had the most control of people who 
actually get up and stand in front of people and have got the balls to speak and actually can get people excited. Yeah. And they wear their own face when they do it. They don't, they don't masquerade as someone else. They've got skin yeah. in the game to the point where obviously Jesus was killed for his authenticity and being, you know, I mean, not I willing think- to say that he wasn't the son of God. To be successful, you need to read, 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 and read and read like crazy. This is why we do this, what we're doing now, and it's why, in fact, there's a chapter in my book that says read, read, and read some more, and it's all about fucking reading. And if you is can it? teach yourself, <laughs> yeah, man, believe it or not, uh, and, and if you can, if you can teach yourself to to public to speak in public, um, you you can. I mean, I I can go on a webinar with 500 people there and and, and sell 100 of my product in two hours, whereas most sales guys working for a full year going visiting client clients individually probably couldn't go and speak to 500 clients and close 100 clients in 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 six seven eight months maybe they could in in, in a year if they visited two clients a day every day for a year or whatever it works out working days um yeah. so so actually speaking in front of of, of an audience is so powerful very um, very important skill it's one of the reasons and- why um Sorry. One of the reasons why I think uh, drama, learning drama or learning how to act is uh, actually quite important. And why, you know, people say about uh, like acting and theater should be cut from the curriculum because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. uh, It's not one of those old school, you know, we need to do more sciences. Um, But I think it's actually extremely important because you're more likely to be speaking in front of groups of people in your life whether you do science or not, making presentations, all of these things, it's such an important skill to have. Um, and it's been a huge bonus to me doing drama at school is, is great. I mean, you saw my wonderful acting in the um, little the clip beginning. you played at the beginning. So You're not self-conscious. There it is. In the, isn't it crazy that you, you um, procrastinate over everything, but you're not self-conscious when it comes to doing the acting and things like that? Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I think it's because I feel comfortable doing it. I just feel mm. it, that that's in my comfort zone, whereas making a a website is out of my comfort zone. Right, and, we're hit, um, we're closing in on the two hour mark. I'm going yep. to start bringing this one in. So we accept what we don't like in ourselves, but not the physical things. But they don't matter. So obviously, it makes no fucking sense to anyone who reads it because <laughs> I, I, I don't make sense. But you read the second one. Yeah, it, it did you write that in the Sumerian? <laughs> yeah, we work harder to build a wall on our house or paint our property than lose weight and become healthy. What what I meant by the first one is that we'll accept things that's wrong with us and we won't put time and effort into it. Like I know people who won't pay for a private doctor when they can afford it, right? Mm-hmm. When they've got something wrong with them and they need to go. But instead, what they'll do is buy a new car. And it makes no sense to me at all. It's like you've got one body, you live in it. That's just a piece of fucking metal that's been manufactured in it. And it doesn't matter. But they'll go and spend 20 grand on a car, but they won't spend five grand on an operation that they need. Instead, they'll wait on the national health. And it kind of, and what I mean by that is people will put more time and effort into things they own, things that don't matter, than they will into things that do matter, which is themselves and personally and, and actually um, the only thing you've got is what's yeah. in your head and your health and I- your happiness. Exactly. I've got a um, a friend, I used to live with him at uni. Uh, he has really struggled with his weight over the last few years. I think it's for a long time, he's got a bad relationship with food. But he makes weekly Facebook posts about losing weight. And um, his whole thing is like, he's not losing a lot of weight, basically. He's 27 stone. So he's a heavy guy. Um, he was 27 stone at 27 years old. And um, he has lost a, a couple of pounds you know, here and there. But it's been it's been hard work 
basically in his posts he's talking a lot of the time he's like yeah i like this slow approach that i've got to losing weight um you know and i'm really it, it's, i'm learning as i go because some things work and some things don't anyway uh, i'm really excited next week i'm going on holiday so i probably will put on some weight but that's fine because that's what life's all about just enjoying yourself and i was like you can afford a holiday but you can't afford a pt <laughs> and that upset me that really upset me <laughs> Right. Desire is a contract you make with yourself to be unhappy until you get what you want. You kind of put the same thing in oh. earlier. Yeah. Um, don't want too much. Choose one thing you want and work on that first. So basically, everybody, I think I put, um, I'll put the second one up as well because this kind of fits with it. Yeah, uh, do it. Desiring too much is like multitasking. You end up with nothing but desires and sadness. So what I was trying to say is, if you've yes. got 50 things you want, pick the one that's most important to you. Forget about everything else and just go after that one thing first. Once yeah. you get it, then think, look at the other 49 and think, which is otherwise you end up multitasking and nothing gets done right and you end up going nowhere. The and it's the same Monkey mind. Yes. That's uh, the um, example of the monkey This mind. is where, where I said to you earlier when you said you can control everything. Everything in life is a feeling. I don't okay. care whether it's from... Um, it doesn't matter what you buy. You buy a house, you buy a car, you, buy, you, you win the lottery. Everything that we do in life is 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 part of a feeling so 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 you you will spend a fortune to get a feeling and and what what I was looking at this is if you can get third parties to experience a positive feeling they will pay through the nose for it um and yeah. it will make you wealthy but everything in life it's not it's not the house that you buy it's not the car that you buy it's not the person you fall in love with or your children or anything there's love there's hate there's happiness there's sadness but everything in life is a feeling yeah um it's a, a really dark example of that would be like a a, a heroin addict you know, they're always just they're they're chasing that amazing feeling of of yep. of euphoric um, exactly. intoxication, and it doesn't matter that they live in a you know broom closet. <laughs> they're just like, well, this is my life. Except it is how it is. This is just mm -hmm. kind of few of the things, and then I've heard this so many times over the years. Sorry, I just actually didn't really clicked it. What will be will be. <laughs> Yes, I like that. The modern, the modern one is like it is what it is. Everyone says it is what it is all the time now. It's like a really common thing. Um, it's become kind this of this one. I think is great advice. Live within your means, and you will be happier. I know so many people that are living in big, massive mansions and they've got expensive cars and all this shit for status, which none of it is doing them any good. In fact, it's it's probably going to put them in an early early grave because they're stressed out of the mind trying to pay for it yeah. and working themselves into an early grave by doing 14, 15, 16 hour days at something they don't love to pay for a place where they can live. When realistically, if you lived in a shed, as long as it had some sort of heating, you'd be just as happy. Um yeah. Do you think that's why people in like um, they say people in like tribal societies are net happier than people who have all of these Definitely. amenities? I think they just have less things, so they have less to worry about. Definitely, I was happy as as as, as shit growing up, and we lived in super poverty. We didn't even have carpets or anything. We didn't have carpets. We didn't have curtains. We didn't used to have wallpaper in most cases, um, and we were happy. Uh, living outside your means causes stress and it's just for status, not wealth. So what I mean by this is over leveraging yourself. If, if you've got a job and, you, and you're making 50 grand a year, then, 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 then spend 20 grand a year on, on, on your house and your car and, and live with the rest of it. Eating well is important. Uh, living, sleeping well is important and all the rest, but having a big fucking house doesn't do anything. And, and I know that cause I've had several, um, yeah. and it's not, in but fact, my missus doesn't want a big house because we had one of the previous houses. We had had three three bathrooms, 
Um, mm-hmm. I think it had a, a several toilets as well. Um, and she hated it because she had three bathrooms to clean. It's like one day a week is cleaning bathrooms. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. do you want us to get a cleaner? She's like, I'm not getting a cleaner. It's my house. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, work for wealth, not status. That's something that's come out of there. Um, yeah. Right. This Your mental state is a choice, right? So if, 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 if somebody crashes into your car, your mental state, state is still a choice. You could get out of your car and be happy about it and say, you know what? Just a car. In fact, somebody called me the other week. I think Georgia was there. Um, she was. They were. They were up in this office, and I got a call from downstairs saying somebody's hit your car in the in the in the uh, car park outside. Yeah. Um. And I wasn't asked. I went down. and said, oh, and, and I said to the woman at reception, I walks out. Um. And I said, yeah, these things happen. Don't worry about. It. It's not a problem. Blah blah blah. Walks outside, and it wasn't my car. It was someone else's. And <laughs> said, oh, I thought it was your car. I was like, nah, that's a BMW. I said, I drive that white. It was a white BMW. Mine's a white Mercedes. Um. I was like, mine's that one. Yeah. There? And it was like, I was still happier that it wasn't my car, but I wasn't actually mad at the woman. I never came downstairs and said. What the fuck have you done? Why have you crashed into me? And, and was a dick yeah. about it. I was like, look, look, shit happens. It's just a car. I'm not bothered. We'll yeah. figure it out. And then I walked outside and she's like, oh, look, and she shows me this bur- uh, this BM with uh, dints. And I was like, oh, it's not even a bad car. It's like, even better. <laughs> I bet she wished it was my car because the next person that come down probably. Yeah, probably out. furious. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's also demonstrates why worrying about external stuff or like coveting external things you know if that car was your pride and joy then controlling your mental state when it gets hit you know if that car is what you equate with happiness that's like a direct attack on your happiness you're going to be furious about it so not putting that kind of importance on objects that are just a temporary thing is um really important they really don't matter and that's that's where a lot of people struggle we were brought in fact i've put uh, my mum's quote, a quote my mum used to say to me uh, as our final thought today. So uh, let's fly through these because we're hitting two hours. I don't want it to go. So outside forces yep. don't control your mental state unless you let them, which is another thing like I was just explaining about the car crash yep. and thing, things like that. Um, who cares? I'm going to die anyway. And and, yeah. and, 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 and I, I tell Maury. myself this. And I've taught Cameron this, my, my 11-year-old son. And at first he's like, oh, it's a bit dark. Dad. It's a bit thingy. And I was like, no, mate, because he used to get that stressed out if he lost at summer. Everything was super important. And he always let his emotions get carried away. And he used to say, control your emotions because you're letting your emotions control you. And if you think about it logically, in a week you'll have forgot about this karate competition or this judo competition or this swimming competition or whatever it is that he's doing and just enjoy the moment and, and thingy it. And right. I've even said to him, mate, you'd be dead. hundred years from now, you'd be dead. And so are your kids. So just enjoy it while you're here and don't get let it stress you out. And it seems to work. Yeah. yeah. Um, Musashi says the way of the warrior in general is the resolute acceptance of death. Super important. Why would you recommend this book? Um, well, I kind of touched on it at the beginning. I would, um, I re- would recommend this book because like I said, it was like a sort of an Ikea version of putting together all of these um, philosophical stuff that we've kind of been touching on recently. And I think that he puts it together in a real basic, easy to, to fit together situation. Um, oh, cheers, Alden. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I think that it's very easy to digest. It's written in a super simple to follow way. You're not going to be overwhelmed. You're not going to be spending a bunch of your time reading this and slogging through it and being like, okay, this doesn't really apply to me, but I can just, the book is designed for you to move to things that apply to you. And I think he says actually during the book, the way he reads is 
you know, is to not attach ego to reading and be like, I need to go from cover to cover. That's what I must do. It's, it's like, no, take from it what you need and then you can move on to something else or you can come back to it when you need to. If you, I recommend very heavily the happiness section of this book. That's exactly so, what I was going to say. The happiness section of this book is life-changing. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely agree. Brilliant. Yeah, and, and I've, the way I've reacted to people speaking to me, saying certain things, people asking advice from me, uh, I have not directly quoted the book because you know it's hard to remember quotes, but I have I have referenced the book with my response automatically without even thinking about it because it is now it was that profound that it is is crept into my just the way I view life now. It's awesome, awesome book. Naval, very growing cool up, idea. growing up, we was poor. We had no money, we had no stuff, and my mother always used to say. The things you own end up owning you. Yes. Super, super true. So many people feel trapped. They feel stuck. They feel like, oh, they they spend 15 hours a day working and living to buy things that they can't afford, um, stressing about a, 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 a future that might never even come, rather than just saying, you know what? we can't afford that four bedroom detached house in that middle of the field over there. But you know what? Let's just be happy living in our two bed um, rented house that we can afford at the minute and just, just live our lives and things. The things you won't end up owning you. Uh, my mum yeah. always used to say it to me. And at the time, and some of the shit she used to say to me growing up, I, I used to pay no attention to. Um, and I think it's helped become who I am now because she was one of them people who, would literally just turn around and tell anyone to go fuck themselves. She would like happy to just say, look, go fuck yourself. She didn't care about status. She didn't care who you was, where you came from. And growing up with that, and this yeah. one saying that she used to say all the time, the things you own end up owning you. So we don't own anything. <laughs> it's, she lived happy. It's absolutely crazy to think about it because it does, it flies in the face of almost everything we're told about mm-hmm. parenting and, uh, you know, raising a child and whatever is that even though you know what she was what she was doing in your lifestyle was traditionally not something that people would think as being very negative and there were i'm sure really negative effects of you know what what you no, went through as a really. kid right but you've grown up with such a mindset now that i'm almost certain that that's why you've achieved what you have in your life so far is because of having that kind of background and i said it before to you that it's like how it's similar to how you know like kids from like a village in africa get their education and become a doctor and you're like how did they manage that like from where they were like there are kids that live in lovely houses that are failing medicine medical school but i think it's the same thing it's given you like a an attitude of like you know these kids are like well i could be working in a sand mine so (laughs) this is like you know my brother said it to me years ago, my, uh, my youngest brother, he said to me years ago, he said, basically what happens is his wealth changes hands. He said, because what happens is people who are brought up by wealthy parents don't appreciate it, don't care about it, don't give a shit about money and they're lazy, right? Mm-hmm. And then people that are brought up with nothing, look at those people, they envy them, they want to be like them. So what happens is those poor people who are brought up on poor estates work really, really hard and then they work really hard and they become wealthy and they become wealthy and bring their children up spoiled. And then their children become lazy. So so there's kind of this balance of, of wealth that goes like that. Obviously, you get old money where it stays in the family. But the yeah. most, in most families, there's a balance of money going up and down like that all the time between the the, 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 the 
it doesn't last more than a generation because you, you, yeah. because you've never been rich and your family were always poor. You spoil your kids to the point where they don't appreciate it, so they become lazy, and then so so, so there's no generational wealth there, and it just goes up and, and and down. And I don't know why that's a final thought that we can. It's just a thing. Yeah, I've said it. I've said it before about silk slippers and like you know when you when you're working really hard, people climb this big wooden staircase to success in in wooden shoes kills their feet it's hard work it's nasty they get to the top and let's say they have kids or whatever they go brilliant i'm going to make sure my kids never have to wear those horrible wooden shoes so they put them in silk slippers and the first thing they do is slip all the way back down the stairs boom there you go and next week we have another amazing book put them up that way so we can see the difference in size yeah yeah let's do it all right so the book for next week is is uh sapiens but let's do it let me let me sneak that in there. So you've got the, the almanac on this side, sapiens on this side. Oop, there it is. Um, yeah, I'll take that down. I just thought I'd show it that way so people can see it now, which one it is. Boom, sapiens. A, brief a little bit more reading. Trying. A little bit more reading. It's only the brief history of the entirety of humankind. So, you know, it should be pretty quick. Yeah, we're, we're kind of going off these business books a bit, aren't we? And going on to stuff that's a bit more um, philosophical. Philosopher. Philo- I don't know the word. Fuck that. Philosophical. Philosophical. You show off, aren't you? No, we I'm not. Count to 12 on one hand. <laughs> show off. You say words, <laughs> <laughs> you dick. <laughs> right. It's been okay. awesome, guys. Um, we will see you all next week. We're going to read Sapiens this week. It's going to be awesome. Um, Looking forward to and it. And thank you very much. Cheers. Okay. Bye. All the best. Bye.